ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good morning, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we have today a real treat for you. Our guest is Erin King, and next week her book comes out, and it is called You're Kind of a Big Deal. And the book is about leveling up by unlocking your audacity. Erin, I am just so thrilled to have you on. And, you know, I'm trying to remember how I even found you. But the really cool thing is, because I don't normally go out looking for guests. Normally they come to me. Um, But you are absolutely the kind of woman that we love to have on the Game Changer because you you are definitely a Game Changer. And, and the thing I love about you is that you're also someone who helps other others become Game Changers as well. And, and it really is simple because we do have this within us. Erin, before we dive into the book, why don't you do, give us a little bit about your backstory? Well, Chicky, thank you for that really kind introduction. I appreciate it. And I'm so happy to be joining you and your Game Changers. Um, as I told you before we started recording, I did a little Googling um, and you, my friend, are kind of a big deal as well, um, doing 400 shows and, and all these years serving your audience. So right back at you to start. <laughs> um, and yeah, my backstory, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm a glutton for punishment. I don't know why I started so many companies, but um, eventually after 15 years of failure and debt and blood, sweat and tears, uh, it has finally culminated into this book that has all the strategies and lessons that I have learned being an entrepreneur for 15 years and all the things that do not work when it comes <laughs> to leveling up your business and a few gems that did. So it's my hope that I can help women you know, level up how they show up online, offline, and all the time by sharing the real peeled back, no sparkles, no glitter story behind, you know, my journey. So, you know, I started my first company when I was 25. It was called Jump Digital Media. We built websites. And I started it because before that, I was a 100% commissioned ad sales rep in Baltimore City, Maryland. And -hmm. this is a very archaic sentence, um, but I used to cold call out of the yellow pages on a <laughs> landline <laughs> and bring printed out PowerPoints into a physical office space and they'd write a paper check <laughs> to be on broadcast television. Nothing in that sentence is relevant in 2021. <laughs> but, oh, that is hysterical. <laughs> but yeah, and it, it was one of those things where I was up for a promotion against my counterpart, this guy named James, and I had better sales numbers, but James played golf with the boys club. So who do you think got the promotion? James. So I was a stupid, overconfident 25-year-old and I Jerry Maguired out of the office, just like, who's coming with me? And of course, no one's coming with me because I'm 25 and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I started my first company, Jump Digital Media. Within 12 months, I was in $70,000 of credit card debt, had to close down the office, fire the staff, went back with my ego and my bank account just in shreds. And got a corporate job. Mm. I ran digital marketing and social media for a large Fortune 100 company out here in Irvine, California. 
took me three years to dig out of my debt, get the experience I needed to know what I was doing. And by then I was ready to kind of go to bat again. This time I had an idea and the idea was to solve a problem that I found. I don't know about you, Chicky. You seem like someone who has a very um, good handle on adult responsibilities at this point in your life. But for me, (laughs) for me, I was always the girl in the bathroom under the stall complimenting the girl's shoes next to me and being like, I'm so sorry to bother you. Can I borrow a tampon? I'm so sorry. This is so awkward. Anyway, so I started a company (laughs) called PMS.com, which was a tampon delivery service. (laughs) which was, I thought was a genius idea because I never had them on hand. Turns out, no, it was not a genius idea. Most women just came at the grocery store like a responsible adult. It's not that big of a deal. So so after 18 months of sales and marketing and packaging and FDA regulations and Chinese shipping policies and PR and e-commerce and literally blood, sweat and tears, quite literally, we were featured in Forbes. We have 25,000 women that sign up. Well, I had to find myself closing down the company because it wasn't making any money. So it was just a spectacular failure, dumpster fire of failure. And, you know, in that moment of just not even being able to pay a $100 cell phone bill at one point and just being like, you know, I've put all my chips on the line. I've gone for broke and now I am broke. Um, I had sort of a come to Jesus where I realized that even though PMS.com, the company was a huge disaster, PMS.com, the community was a huge success. I wow. Managed- what year was that, Erin? This is 2013. And on Facebook, we had the internet's largest collection of women coming together, talking about everything from like, you know, memes about murdering their husbands to recipes about brownies and chocolate cakes and chocolate cookies and the best PMS cake ever to uh, healthcare studies on women's healthcare, which is obviously underfunded in a major way. It became this vibrant place where women were talking about this kind of taboo topic. And so I discovered in that deep, dark, horrible, painful, uh, expensive failure, my superpower, my superpower, which was building social media communities. And I parlayed that finally third time was a charm working with one client at my kitchen table. And over the last 10 years, I've grown Socialite Agency, which is a social media company that has helped everyone from the Oscars to the United States Navy to Visa and everyone in between to grow their social media presence um, Mm. online. But so it was always in that dark hour, you know, where you find what you were actually meant to do. And unfortunately, there's no way to discover what you're supposed to do without walking through those fires. Well, and we have to touch on the story that you talk about in the introduction of your book. <laughs> now, I have I have raised a lot of money in my day. I've raised over $7 million. Wow. And well, actually more than that, uh, close to 10. Wow. And, and there were always a group of men in the story, right? You know, I mean, it, it never had women in, in the story, but never ever have I had a story like your story. (laughs) So since you already kind of gave away a little bit of the story, so you are in uh, a boardroom, right, Mm -hmm. with all of these guys who were like, you know, B-school grads, you know, Mm -hmm. top of their class, Mm -hmm. and all over the table, you've got tampons. (laughs) So take us, take us from there to, you know, the end game. Cause obviously you did get funded, right? You yeah. Mm-hmm. Get to launch the company. Yep. The, 
that it wasn't a good idea is kind of the second part of, of this whole thing. Yeah. Talk about of entrepreneurialism, but tell us the story, Erin. <laughs> it's priceless. Well, to, to pick up where you left off. So picture the sparkling Pacific ocean in the background. You have these floor to ceiling, beautiful, shiny windows. You have the long conference table and there's all these super tan buff Newport beach, alpha male bro dudes around the table. They drive Ferraris. They go to CrossFit. They listen to Kanye West. They all have matching designer jeans and the tampons are just spread all over the table. And I was pitching them because I had seen that the dollar shave club had taken off with Mark Dubin. And, you know, he sold to Unilever for a billion dollars. And I was like, I'm going to be the Mark Dubin of dollar shave club for women's tampons. I had this whole idea. So I did all this research. I have a pitch deck, the numbers. So I'm talking about things like absorbencies. I'm talking about things like, <laughs> you know, what's going to come in the kit when they get it. It's going to have help. I need help. Ibuprofen pills. It's going to have, uh, I called them um, tutu towels like wet wipes for women. I had this whole idea. And these guys, Chicky, looked like if I kept talking, they were going to barf all over this conference table. They were so <laughs> uncomfortable. And this one guy literally was like, just looking, he had this look on his face, like, can we just get rid of this woman? And it was in that moment where I had that feeling, like I felt the sweat kind of just like going down my Spanx. My hands started shaking and I started realizing like, oh my God, this is going down in flames. These guys are going to laugh me out of here. Should I just save them time? And I wanted to just run away. It was like one of those dreams you have where you're at school naked or something. And, and, but it wasn't a dream. It was happening. And so one of the investors grabs a tampon and chucks it at his friend and says, dude, I dare you to open one. And he goes, no, dude, I dare you to. So grown man tampon hot potato breaks out in the middle of my, my moment. Right. And I'm sitting there like, this never happens on Shark Tank, first of all. And then... <laughs> I realized it was like, I'm looking at these guys. I'm like, well, they're grossed out, but they're not nervous. They know they deserve to be at this table. They know they deserve to take, to take up space and to, and to, they know they're a big deal. They, they know without a shadow of doubt, they are smart enough. They are brave enough and they are bold enough. They are enough to be in this moment. And so I just had this kind of like crossroads where I grabbed the tampon from his hand and I tried to meet them where they were because they weren't taking me seriously. So I was like, okay, you know, great rule of persuasion is to mirror the people in the situation. So I grabbed the tampon and I started using it as my pointer and my microphone. So instead of, I couldn't beat them, I joined them and they started leaning forward and paying attention and nodding their heads. And fast forward 45 minutes later. And the head guy was like, obviously this is not our market. Okay. But we bet on the jockey, not the horse. You seem like you're a pretty good jockey. Did you bring a term sheet? And so I raised seven figures of capital to launch this company and it was one of those moments where it could have gone either way. And I think that the biggest moments of our lives that can make or break our trajectory as female entrepreneurs, as leaders, as salespeople, as solopreneurs, is that the biggest life-changing moments can come down to like one split-second decision to take the braver, bolder route that maybe isn't the one you had perfectly planned out, but it gets you there regardless. Right. And you called this introduction, how dare you? Right. And, you know, the thing I loved about reading it was that you actually turned around and, and dared yourself to yeah. step up to the table, right. And to acknowledge who you really were, right. And that audacity, uh, you know, can be looked at a couple of different ways. And, and I actually uh, loved the part of the story where you talk about how Daniel Webster in Webster's Dictionary describes it actually as two completely opposite things, a really, really negative thing and a really, really positive thing. 
And, you know, most women who have been successful in business know that the same terms that are used to describe successful men are usually a negative connotation for women. And, you know, you, you were in a situation where, of course, it wasn't their market. They, they didn't understand it, right? But I can tell you, I sell a product and I'm trying to raise money for a product that everybody does use. And sometimes they behave exactly the same way, yeah. right? Uh, you know, like they're, they're the smartest one in the room and that you don't know anything, right? Yeah. So, you know, I want to move into, you know, why you structured the book the way that you did, because, you know, you start out with this very, very personal story, but it's a story of victory, which is, is really incredible. And then you go back and you, you begin to lay out why it's so important to be able to articulate what it is you really, really, really want. Mm -hmm. Tell Mm -hmm. us about that. Well, I think as women, a problem that we face is that we are particularly good at identifying what we don't want, what we don't like, what's missing, what's wrong, because we, we are, we're searching to create spaces and moments and experiences for our friends and family that feel good and that are the best they can be. And so I think that a lot of times, whether it's, you know, the coaches and the clients that, that you work with, Chicky, or different brands that you've worked with, you tend to see this, this space where success and what it looks like isn't always very clearly defined. And I am a firm believer that you cannot manage what you don't measure. And I think when we are working so hard as entrepreneurs and we're writing the books and doing the podcasts and contenting and selling and going, oftentimes we're not even really clear what is the milestone that we are specifically chasing down. And so this chapter um, is the first chapter for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, when when I was doing my keynotes for my first book, Digital Persuasion, which is all about how you create compelling online communication, which I learned from 10 years of running all these campaigns and raising capital and all these things. Um, I was doing these keynotes to these huge conferences. And after the conference in my DMs on Instagram, I would get, of course, questions about this and that. But I started to see this pattern of women asking me questions about topics that I hadn't even covered in my keynote. And as you know, being a, a successful businesswoman, listening to your audience is key. And all these DMs were asking questions about you know, well, how do you figure out the direction you do want to go? How do you raise capital? How do you start a company? How do you public speak? How do you do all these things? And so I started to sort of collect these DMs. And over the course of three years, I picked the top 10 most asked questions. And those are what formed the backbone of the table of contents. So the book is written directly from these DMs. And when I was writing the book, I had the, the different Instagram profiles of the women that were asking the questions that had been printed out and all over my office wall. So when uh-huh, I was writing, cool. I kept speaking to them and like, what do they need? What do they want? What, you know, I don't know much, but I'm an expert of my own experiences only. I, what can I share in this, in this all over the place roller coaster of madness that might help trigger for them how to figure out what it is they do want and how they can chase it down? Well, I think it's so interesting that you hone in on how good we are at deciding what we don't want to do. Because someone asked me the other day about 2020. And, you know, it was a obviously a dismal year for most everybody. I happen to have a, a technology company that services the travel and events industry. So it's like, what oh. industry do you not want to be involved in when oh. a pandemic ha- hits? That's probably it, right? <laughs> so uh, 
I actually articulated for the first time the other day that what I did in 2020 was to decide what I didn't want to do, right? Mm-hmm. What I didn't want to be, uh, what all of those things look like. And I got a really clear picture of that. And now I'm trying to frame that, right, in, in what does 2021 and, and moving into 2022 look like. So one of the things that you talk about uh, in, in the book is facing your fake news fears. So every day we are bombarded, right? Whether that is about the pandemic itself, about our economy, about the Chinese and Koreans and Iranian and the Russians, you know, coming to eat our lunch, right? What, whatever it is, um, there is some level of anxiety that that is, uh, you know, piling on us. And some people are more prone to anxiety than others. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about fake news fears. Well, just like all those headlines that you just described, a lot of us have an inner journalist that is trying to sow fear and sow anxiety by, by proclaiming these headlines. And obviously fear is designed to keep us safe, right? I mean, that's why we're here because we ran from the saber to the tiger and we didn't get into the elevator with the sketchy man. Like fear is to keep us safe, right? So it's a good thing. And a lot of times what we are telling ourselves we are scared of or could happen or what people are going to say or do or think, they just aren't real. They're literally, and as women, again, we are the masters of spinning these narratives and figuring out exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to go down and what people are going to say. And I had a moment for me, and it was probably, I guess, four or five years ago that made me realize just how psycho my inner journalist truly was and how (laughs) fake the headlines were. I was at a conference um, speaking to a bunch of these super core, it was a B2B financial legacy organization. I'm speaking to this really buttoned up crowd. Everyone has the matching black and navy suits on and I was backstage and I don't know about you, but I am like the absolute, I I detest wearing high heels. I hate them. My dogs are barking within five minutes. I look like a little girl playing dress up, tottering around like in her mom's shoes. I just hate heels. But you know that in the corporate environment, it's like the put together professional look. So with every single meeting, every single keynote, I'm like carrying my heels back and forth and wearing my sneakers, my high top black sneakers, And I'm putting them on at the last minute. And then I walk out of the stage and like 20 minutes in my feet or like get these like awful things off. So I was backstage and I'm like looking at the heels. I'm like, here we go. Oh God. So I was looking on Instagram, my friend, Brian Fanzo, who's a great guy. He posted something about like daring people to walk their most authentic walk. And I looked at my sneakers and I was like, I wish I could just wear my sneakers. And I have a pink J crew preppy, like corporate dress on that does not go with high top black sneakers in any (laughs) fashion book on the planet. Right. And I just, for a second, I was like sitting there and this AV guy walks by and he's like, cool sneaks. And I looked at his shoes and he was wearing the dirtiest pair of Chuck Taylors I've ever seen in my life. This thing, these, this pair had been from third grade or out of a dumpster or something. And I was like, you too. But I said it like in the way that Southerners will say, like, bless your heart. Like it was totally insincere. And right. <laughs> he goes, he goes, yes, thanks. I love them. And walked away. I'm like, this guy is so stoked on his sneakers. They are disgusting. They are dirty. They are gross. Why are guys so confident? in what they wear and how they don't second guess their shoes, their outfit. They're like, I'm the man. I call it a dudeitude. They have a dudeitude. They're like, I look amazing. (laughs) Right. And you're like, you are a mess. Right. So anyway, 
I was like, you know what? If this guy can wear those chucks with that confidence and I see this post daring me to walk my most authentic walk, screw it. What if I just wore these tennis shoes on stage? Who cares? And immediately, again, I realized this is not, this is in the realm of what I call medium brave. This is not like Malala fighting off the Taliban brave. Okay, this is not Bethany Hamilton going surfing after having your arm bitten off by a shark brave. I get that. But a lot of us in our lives, we only get medium brave opportunities to practice for those big moments of big brave. And so I was sweating, I was nervous. And the story, the fake news that I was telling myself was that these guys who are already judging women for their appearance, who are already tweeting about what is she wearing and who is she? And I'm already a woman under 40 who's likes her job and has done all these things. They don't want to like me anyway. And so in my mind, I was like, they're going to judge me. They're going to boo. They're going <laughs> to tweet. It's going to be a mess. I'm like, screw it. I'm doing it. So I ran out on stage and it was crazy. Chicky, you know, you've spoken so many times, like I could walk and I could act out stories and I was laying down on the stage telling a story and I was running around. And by the end of it, I got my very first standing ovation in my entire career. And it was such a stupid thing. It's a pair of sneakers. Who cares? But what I realized is that everything I was telling myself in my mind was all fake news fears. They didn't care I was wearing sneakers. They didn't care if it wasn't a cool outfit. They didn't care about anything that I thought they were going to be thinking. And right. so many times we craft that narrative. And so that one little teeny, like basic brave, medium brave moment triggered this whole windfall of other like little everyday medium brave choices. And one by one, when you start to take these little dares and start to just maybe change something that you're more comfortable doing no matter what everyone's going to say. It's so stupid, but it empowers you to silence that fake news headline. It empowers you to check, fact check that inner journalist. And it allows you to literally, in some cases, step into your big deal energy that you already have within you. Well, I love that. And it leads right into the next one, which is ghosting your inner good girl. Mm. And on my refrigerator at uh, in my kitchen is the picture of Princess Leah, you know, with her, her, you know, little curly things on her yeah. ears saying well-behaved women don't defeat the empire. Ooh. Right. And, yep. you know, I mean, that's really, I'm, I'm not a, a big Star Wars uh, fan. My daughter uh, happens to be, but I keep that there because of that, that, you know, the inner good girl of doing the right thing and, and, you know, keeping, keeping your mouth shut. And, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, the table full of men and uh, it, it's interesting because, uh, you know, on, on the phone live today is Ellen and, and Ellen was with a company that I was a part of the acquisition efforts of that company. And we were sitting in uh, this uh, conference room at uh, nine West um, or the, the, sign out in front of the building is nine west but uh, anyway it overlooks central park in new york city and the table had to have held 40 people and there were only two women at the table uh and a, a, a friend that ellen and i both know uh was the other woman and she was sitting next to me and all of the men were you know dressed in you know those again those perfect suits and you knew that they had gone to harvard and stanford and all of this and I had been hired by um, Solomon Smith Barney as wow. the advisor. And so again, we were two of the only women in the room. We were definitely the only two at the table. The others were sitting you know, around the edge of the room. 
And, you know, she whispered in my ear, uh, you know what? She said, I didn't even graduate from college. And I said, no way. I said, neither did I. I'm a college dropout. And so here she and I, you know, were trying to fit into that well-behaved good girl, you know, uh, you know, only speak when spoken to, you know, all of those kinds of things. But uh, again, I keep that on my refrigerator Mm. because I'm pretty sure I have learned how to ghost my inner good girl, but I want to hear about that. Chicky, I love that story. You just gave me chills on my entire body. I love that story for so many reasons. I love that number one, you had that one gal that you could link arms with and team up. And I just love that you're just blowing up this bullshit, this BS narrative, pardon me, about <laughs> how about how women are competing with each other all the time. I hear this all the time. People are like, I was on a podcast a couple of days ago, this guy, and he's like, why do you think women are so competitive? I'm like, I don't know which women you know, but the women that I know, we can't <laughs> afford to be competitive. We only get one or two. We right. have to team up. Like, what are you talking about? You know, so I love that you had that team abundance mentality with that gal and, and that honesty factor, which is so important. Well, and um, she's now literally a part of the board of directors of my life. Uh, this podcast actually was birthed out of something called the Executive Girlfriends Group that I, I actually launched on National Girlfriends Day. Who even knew that there was such a thing? And <laughs> I, I accidentally it. launched this podcast on that day. But anyway, she became a part of the board of that and is still a very, very dear friend of mine today. So anyway, that. go Ghosting your inner good girl is, is one of the the things that you talk about in, in, uh, you know, grasping that audacity. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, okay. So I want to talk more about that offline because I have a lot to say about that. I think that is really just so important. Just really quickly. Um, my generation, I'm 39, my generation, um, we have so much, we have so much gratitude for organizations like the ones that you started for stories. Like you're talking, you guys were really the first round of women that we're demanding that seat at the table. And Mm -hmm. the work is still, there's so much work to be done, but I just want you to know that women in my generation, we honor the heck out of little war stories like that. And every time we collect it, we're like, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. So thank you. Awesome. So ghosting you're in a good girl. Um, So the, yes, I mean, I think the funny thing is a lot of women that are reading my book and a lot of the women that I hang out with and that you hang out with and that we surround ourselves with, a lot of us don't necessarily think of ourselves as good girls. We think of ourselves as badasses, right? I don't know if I can cuss in your podcast, sorry. As, as awesome women, sorry. (laughs) It's totally fine. Sorry. Um, But well, so, so I think because a lot of us think of ourselves as warrior women and hear us war and we're starting the side hustle and and we're starting the venture and we're doing it all and we're being it all. We don't necessarily like to think of ourselves as good girls because it feels like this very like limiting um, you know, shrinking type of, of visual. But I think why this chapter is so important for me anyway, is that I had this situation where one of my dear friends is, her name's Laura Gassner Odding, and she wrote this book called Limitless. Okay. Laura worked in the Clinton administration. She has like a hundred children. She is the most, she has like the most amazing <laughs> triceps. She works out like an Olympic athlete every day. She shows up and serves on all these platforms. She is a dynamo, okay? And one day we were talking about her keynote. I mean, I literally look up to her so much. And she was like, I just, sometimes when I'm up there, I just want to rant. Like, I just want to not be scripted and not be perfect. I just want to share what's on my heart in that moment and just rant. And I looked at her and I was like, well, why don't you do that? I'm like, Gary V, who Gary V, if you guys are listening, he's like this, you know, 
tech entrepreneur guy who just rants and raves on stage. He's not scripted at all. And everyone just right. worships this guy. I'm like, well, Gary V does it all the time. Like, why couldn't you? And without even thinking, she was like, oh, well, I'm no, I'm no Gary V. I mean, I couldn't, I could never. And I looked at her and I'm like, you are, you literally wrote a book called Limitless. You are literally your pedigree <laughs> and your profile and your resume. I, just, I love Gary V, but you are absolutely have every right. Like, so it was this interesting moment where I realized even the toughest, most amazing women that we know had this little sense of like this good girl. Like you just can't, we can't authorize ourselves to color outside the lines or break the rule or do the thing or, or not be this like perfect little thing. And, and it's, if she is affected by it, then I know I am, then I know people listening are. And so it's just the chapter really unpacks little sneaky ways that you might be people pleasing or permission seeking or approval validating. You might be looking for all these things more than you realize it. And we talk a lot about in the book, how, how social media has really thrown fuel on the flames of this kind of endless 24 seven feedback loop of validation from the world and how we have to be really careful who we're giving voice to, who, whose opinions we're allowing to be our unconscious inputs shaping how we feel about ourselves, shaping the confidence that we have to show up, shaping how we bring our ideas into the world, because those inputs are directly influencing the outputs that you share as you serve your community and as you serve your team, your customers, your clients, your family, your friends. So the book is really, really about how we can, we can begin to be better at authorizing ourselves to listen to the internal GPS lady that we all have, because Women's intuition, people always talk about it, right? Like, you know right. that your gut has never steered you wrong. Same as me. But there's a part in the book that I call, I say, it takes guts to go with your gut. Because I don't think that women get stuck because we don't know where to start or we aren't sure what we're doing or we're just afraid. Like, I don't, those aren't the women that I know. And I think people <laughs> think that that's the problem. That's not the problem. The problem that gets us stuck, in my opinion, and what I've seen with my grittiest gal, gal pals and clients is that we get started and we are so excited and we're so fired up. And it's not until everyone else's reactions to us are less than go girl. It's when those reactions are more no girl and they're disapproving and they're rejecting and they're planting these seeds of doubt. It's everyone else's rejections. We tend to process those as red lights and that's what gets us stuck. And so this book being audacious, it's not about not caring what anyone thinks about you because that's for psychos and narcissists. Obviously, we want people we love to love our thing. What the book is about is when you're at a crossroads and the stakes are the highest, you do know, and it's about caring more what you think about your choices and decisions and believing that your intuition is individual. It's not collective. Right. <laughs> intuition is individual. And so this whole chapter is about ghosting that inner good girl and authorizing yourself to reprogram and recategorize those red lights from the world as actually green lights. They're actually indicators that you are doing something that's a big deal. Well, and again, in that very first story that you tell in the book, you actually encapsulate a lot of the advice that you just gave, which was just so encouraging to me, Erin, because I realized that, you know, over the course of the last 18 months, and again, I've had to be dealing with a, um, an advisory board, I call them my sounding board, uh, you know, that are trying their best to give me good advice about what to do next. Um, but actually, 
the next thing I want to talk about is becoming a bad listener, because actually, quite often, and, and I am accused of this all the time, you know, someone will start down a path, and, you know, I really do know where they're going. I've seen this movie before, and they don't know what a badass I am, right? And, and that I, I have this unusual gift in that I see problem and solution in exactly the same frame. It's not a serial process for me. And it took me a long time to understand that that's not how other people think. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes I have to slow down, right? Uh, You know, I have to let them go through it before I can point out to them why that observation uh, doesn't apply here right? And, and that comes off as being a bad listener. So you're actually encouraging people to become a bad listener. And I want to hear that because uh, I need some encouragement on that front. (laughs) Well, um, that is your superpower, what you just described, that thing that is so easy for you. Mm -hmm. And you're looking around like, how does everyone not see this, right? And I'm sure there's been times in your career where people have looked at you like you just performed a magic trick. And they're like, how did you know? How did you... That is the thing I encourage in the book for every listener to pay attention because we all have that thing that is, and we're like, can't everyone do that? And it's like, no, that is your secret sauce, right? And so the book, I forget which chapter it's in actually, but I think in one of the chapters we explore that. Um, But yeah, becoming a bad listener is obviously it's meant to be a little bit provocative um, as is the word audacity on purpose, um, intentionally. Um, And it's really about the fact that there is this classic advice. Obviously, the world's greatest salespeople are the world's greatest listeners. Obviously, listening to your partner for their pain points to be the best partner you can be is important. Listening to your children, like listening is obviously important, okay? I'm not saying not to listen. I'm just saying that oftentimes there are moments, particularly in corporate America, particularly when you are in the minority um, of the, of the decision-making crew, where listening can be lethal. And when you go through all of the women who have made real strides in history and who have really shaken things up, they all shared the same superpower of refusing to listen to everyone telling them to go right and they went left. And so the, the book is really, that chapter of the book is really about that you can, you can hear people with your ears without listening with your heart. And there is a difference. And, and I want to encourage and again, we preach and teach what we need to hear the most, right? I mean, everything in this book, I am preaching right at myself. So, so for, for in my life, what I have found is that the biggest momentum shifters for my career, public speaking, coaching, all the things that have actually panned out, not just fiscally, but also like emotionally and personally and on a bigger impact level, every single time it involved having the audacity to not listen to the haters, not listen to right. everyone and making sure that you are distinguishing between your truth tellers. You, you call it your board of directors, your sounding board. I call them my truth tellers. You, you, distinguishing between they get a voice, but being really intentional about who do you bestow that, that honor upon because not everyone's voice should get a seat at that table. Right, right. Well, and I think that that's what I'm learning too. And, and the other interesting thing, and this kind of ties back to the good girl thing of, of thinking we should behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about uh, feeling jealous to find your genius. And two two weeks ago, one of my colleagues uh, was sharing a story about a CEO organization that uh, we have both been 
uh, involved in was actually pursuing him and wanting him to come and do uh, some work with him. And, and, you know, I found myself and, and I'm not a jealous person and envy just, you know, I, it, it can be something that plagues certain people. Sure. Um, but at the same time, and it's funny because uh, Ellen is here live on the call. Uh, Ellen was being pursued by the company that she has now uh, taken this job with. And I had a moment in my week. And again, it was probably two to three weeks ago where I thought, you know what? I want to be pursued. I want to be pursued. When I was a consultant, when I was a successful consultant, the phone just rang, right? And I've been trying so hard to get people to want what I have been, you know, trying to put together in my current business. Um, and, and so it helped me. Jealousy was actually a tool. Yeah. And you know, I remember having this discussion a couple of Saturdays ago with, with Ellen because uh, we've got a, a group that, that walks. We kind of hold each other accountable on, on uh, our health and, you know, being who we want to be on that front. Yeah. And we were talking on, on that Saturday morning about how I was jealous, not in that I wanted them to be calling me. I didn't want yeah. a job, but I, it helped me really focus in. And, and the genius of that observation was now I know that I don't want to be in a situation where I'm either pursuing people to be on my leadership team because I'm building a whole new team and I don't want to have to pursue clients that way. I want them to get it right. And I want to be articulate enough and audacious enough, right, mm -hmm. to use the tampon as yeah. the microphone. I <laughs> love it. So see, that's, and that's tying full circle to what we talked about earlier of like, tell you what you want, which, so it's so great that you, you ghosted your inner good girl, which the knee jerk reaction would be, oh my gosh, I can't believe me to have me like, why would I even have these feelings? It's like, because it's an indicator that is your subconscious screaming at you that you actually are crystal clear on exactly right. what you want. And you, you, you articulated it, you spoke it into existence and that's, what's going to unfold for you. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because my, the book that I wrote, uh, which is called The Game Changer, and, you know, it's got a picture of a, a chessboard on, on the front of the book, but it's got dominoes, right? Of, which is just, that picture is just me. And, you know, you've worked with publishers. I was the most worried about them changing the title right on me and saying, no, you can't have that title and, or that they wouldn't adopt that image because that image was so important to me. And, you know, the, the next thing that you talk about in the book is dressing up your big deal dreams. Yeah. And I opened this book with, and again, the book isn't about me, but I am you know, when you're the author, you get to uh, weave yourself into every character if you want, right? It's, it's uh, great fun, especially with a, a business parable like this. And so the first character in the book is on stage, right, with the words Ted, right, behind them, although, you know, they don't say that right away and, you know, talk about the experience and, you know, the real big deal of that dream becoming reality. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you talk about dreams and then also you talk about um, caping up so you don't cop out, which, you know, is again, really re realizing those superpowers you have. So why don't you uh, kind of try to weave those two together as we uh, start to wind down? Yeah. Well, I love the image of your book and I cannot wait to have you on my podcast highlights because we interviewed oh, authors and my highlighters would love you. Um, 
And um, yeah, I mean, so I love, I love that you kind of painted that picture. So dressing up your big deal dreams essentially is um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's um, a continuation of dressing for the job you want, dressing for the position that you want. My story in there is that I bought a little black dress that for a party that I was not invited to is how the chapter opens up. And essentially I was chasing down a big deal dream client. So I wanted to blow up socially. I didn't have time to mess around with like slow growth because my, I had right. failed ventures. We didn't have time. So I wrote a press release saying how the Oscars had hired my agency. I bought my little black dress for the red carpet. I wrote in my end of the day recap notes, um, how great all of our meetings went with the Oscars full delusion, like delusion, delusion, like manifestation to the delusional level. And then when I sent out all these messages, which this story is in my first book, Digital Persuasion, all these messages I sent to like probably a hundred events, the Olympics, the Super Bowl, everyone ignored me. The only one client that did not ignore me was the Oscars. And wow. when I went to LA and I signed that contract with them and they hired my little nobody, I mean, it was literally me and an unpaid intern that I met at a local dive bar down the street. I mean, that was our team. And we beat out these agencies from LA and London and New York. And that was when my entire agency exploded. Then we got fashion week and my career just took off all from this wow. one moment of manifestation. And then I published that press release online. It's still online today. You can find it. But I wrote that way before they even knew who we were. And so the dress up your big deal dreams is the fact that when you are writing down what you want, what you're chasing down, whether it's to be pursued, whether it's to accomplish X, Y, Z, you also have to take a physical step to let the universe right. or God or whoever know how serious you are. I mean, beyond the, like off the vision board and like into your closet, right? Or yeah. whatever it is that would help you feel ready physically to step into that role. Right. I was actually trying to see if I had my vision board here because mm -hmm. one of the things that I had always wanted was to be on Good Morning America. And I had this picture of all of yeah. the, the hosts, right? And I was sitting next to Robin Roberts on the couch. I mean, again, this is uh, totally me photoshopped in. Yeah, uh, I love but the it. same thing of there was a this really skinny uh, woman on the front of uh, again, it was a CEO magazine of some kind. And I put my my face on on her body, <laughs> right? Because I wasn't I wasn't svelte and I wasn't I little. It. But yeah, I, I really get the power of that. And you know, God created us as creators, right? Yep. When he spoke things into existence, he gave us that power and more. So, Agreed. you know, I really love that we have the ability to do that. And, yeah. you know, uh, we don't have time to go into each of the other chapters, but I just want to share uh, with folks that, you know, you help people in a very, very practical way in this book by giving them permission to be in the place where they need help and giving them the tools to help them get help. And, you know, I think that that is, is just such a powerful combination. I cannot wait to see what happens with this book. And I can't wait to see what happens in our relationship because you and I were meant to meet girlfriend. I agree. Wow. A hundred percent right back at you. Thank you for the honor of letting me spend time with your crew. And I can't wait to continue the conversation on my podcast. We need to get the game changer on there. 
Well, and we will do that. So your book uh, actually comes out on Tuesday, and we were just talking about, uh, you know, coming out on a Tuesday after a, a four-day weekend maybe isn't the best thing, but maybe that's your paradox, <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe yeah. that's the real opportunity, that that becomes another part of the story, right, so. <laughs> of, of how, how you, uh, you know, looked at that as a challenge and, and overcame that and had the audacity, right, to do what you needed to do with it. So, Aaron, if you, you've got a, a very common name, obviously easy to pronounce Aaron King, but sometimes that also makes you hard to find. So how can people best find you and follow you? One place, and I detest this place, but it is the social media platform that I detest the least, which is Instagram. So <laughs> at, at Mrs.Aaron.King. I've been working in social media since the very beginning and I saw The Social Dilemma on Netflix and it has changed how I think about my career and my job. And I'm thrilled to be pivoting into this more of mindset, self-help sort of space because I'm very divided on my love-hate, like many of us are with social media, but I am spending my time on Instagram at Mrs.Aaron.King. And there's a link in my bio that links to all the other things. Well, very, very cool. Well, Aaron, I, I just am, uh, again, I don't remember where our connection was, but wherever it was, I am so, so grateful because it is not often that I come across someone like you that I can't picture my life without you being a part of it moving forward. Uh, you know, people who listen to my interviews a lot, you know, I mean, I, I get along well with most people that I interview. I've really out of 400, maybe have had less than five bad interviews over, over a 15 year period. Uh, but every once in a while, I stumble across a gem and not just a gem of a book, uh, which, by the way, I now need to dig into this with, you know, both feet and with a highlighter and with a, a notepad and really map out how I'm going to change. And, and, you know, I've always been known for audacity. I mean, that, that is actually who I am and what I do, but I now need to package it in, in a different way and need to take that next step. And, uh, you know, don't, don't know all the, all the details of it, but, uh, but you're, you're right there in the picture somewhere. So I can't wait to explore that with you. Oh, well, thank you, Chicky, And keep me posted on all of your big deal moves. Oh, I absolutely will. Again, we have been talking with Erin King and she has written the book, You're Kind of a Big Deal, Level Up by Unlocking Your Audacity. And it comes out the Monday after Memorial Day. And uh, I'm going to make sure that we put in the Game Changer Network a link so that you can go and order the book and then, of course, go back on and put your review of the book. And for those of you who have never launched a book, those things are so, so important. This isn't just about making money on, on a book. It's really about making your mark and getting a, a book in front of the people who really need to see it. And so I hope you'll all help Aaron do that. Aaron, thanks so much and good luck on the launch and let me know how I can help because I will do anything I can to help you. I appreciate you, Chickie. Thank you so much. It was so lovely spending time with you today. All right. Terrific. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald.
Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business.